And he must have a firm grasp of the unchanging message so that he can be counted on both for giving encouragement in sound doctrine and for refuting those who argue against it. WSFI 88.5 FM presents Reclamation Theology with Kyle Clement. This is a series of programs on Reclamation Theology that everything that was written since the mid-1500s, for the purpose of this program, we will call that event the deformation rather than the reformation because its effect on faith was to deform the faith, to take the clear edges off of the faith and the clear elements off of the faith. And this was a movement that was started by Martin Luther. Before Martin Luther, we as Catholics proclaimed the faith. It was the truth, we knew it was the truth, and we stated it as the truth. Relativism and modernism first start to poke their head into the tent. Those two noses of very huge camels come from, they start to poke inside the tent at about this time where the truth is relative to the man to whom it's applied. And relativism is, we do not have a set place in history, but everything is fluid, and so, in Reclamation Theology, we're going to go through and take different themes each week. And so one of the things we're going to talk about this week, center to this, and we have a Marianologist with us, is we're going to talk about what this movement did to the role of Mary, how she was seen, and who she really is and was, and how we treated her, proclaimed her in her various titles. I'd like to hear from Dan this morning about... Uh, some of the things, some of the, the treatment of the Blessed Mother uh, in this movement, what has happened to her and the sense of her that we have lost. Good morning, Dan. I'm so glad you could join us. Good morning, Kyle. What's interesting is, is this, this understanding of, or, or, our, or the Christian understanding of submission to the will of God, this spousal submission. Uh, Christ, even, even in Luke's Gospel, we see the Our Father, and, and, and the Our Father says, uh, uh, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. It goes on. And it's the evangelist Luke moves and superimposes that and places it into the garden. And he gives it, he gives it a rep, he gives it a, a pride of place uh, grammatically in the garden where Christ ultimately surrendered to the will of the Father. Our Lady says the same thing. Thy will be done or let it be done to me, right? And as you think of, if you think of, of it's it's a popular you see you'll see rap stars and rock stars wearing a t-shirt that says do what thou wilt right that that is that is that is the mantra of of i think it's uh, alistair crowley right it's, well at it, the end of the day at the end of the day there's only one word difference between lucifer's fiat and mary's fiat there's only one word difference between lucifer's response to god and mary's response to god mary says let it be done unto me according to your word Lucifer says, let it be done unto me according to my word. And so our fiat, our response to God, will either be Luciferian or Marian. It can't be, uh, it can't be the same. It, it's either Luciferian, which focuses on us, or it's Marian, which focuses on God. It truly is ad orientum or ad hominem. She is who the church says she is. She is who Gabriel says she is. Yeah, this is uh, Saint Louis de, from St. Louis de Montfort's True Devotion to Mary. 
the more he, the Holy Ghost, finds Mary, his dear and inseparable spouse in any soul, the more active and mighty he becomes in producing Jesus Christ in that soul, and that soul in Jesus Christ. So we see, we see the perfection of humanity in her, and to the extent that we conform ourselves to her, she will conform us to Christ. Um, and, and, and you see this in, in the lives of the saints. So, Dan, let me ask you just, just practically. Is it possible to have um, a complete relationship with Jesus Christ to the exclusion of Mary? No. Is it possible to have a relationship with God the Father? exclusive of a relationship with Mary. No, there will be defects. Could you have a relationship with your father if you if, if your father if you come from a divorced home? Yes, you can have a relationship with your father, but it's a defective relationship. There's something there's something disordered about that relationship when you only see your dad on the weekends, for example. And this is not to make a judgment statement against divorced families, as many of our families are. But you see in the human fracturing of the human family, when the church family was fractured, there was a breakdown. And, and when we lose it, what happens is most Catholics don't understand, um, you know, we're not called to be so-called Jesus freaks, right? We're called to have a Trinitarian relationship. We're called to have a right relationship with the whole, the whole Trinity, the three persons of the Trinity, right? And so that's why I started with her unique role, right? As, as I think it was a Colby that says she has a hypostatic relationship to the Trinity. She is hypostatically united to the Trinity in a, in a mystical sense. So is it fair to say that with regard to grace, is it a fair statement to say that to the extent we understand and have devotion in relation with Mary, we're open to the understanding of grace, she who is full of grace. Right. And think about, I mean, again, when I, I'm not quoting theologians here. I'm quoting saints of the church, doctors of the church. I had a conversation with, with a theologian or historian not long ago, and I said, and they were, he was disagreeing on something that Gregory the Great had said. And I said, well, I'd, I would rather defer to a doctor of the church than a doctor in the church. Uh, well, so, 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 so Bernard, doctor of, doctor of Marian's mediation, says all graces come through Mary. She's mediatrix of all graces. We may not like that. We may not understand that. It may resound against what we know or what we think we know. But nonetheless, as mediatrix of all graces, if, to the extent that you are not in right relation with her to get you in relation with the Blessed Trinity and this unique union she has with the Trinity, you will be, a grace in your, your own life will be occluded. It's, you know, you're going to... Well, I remember going to Germany, visiting the German, the castles in Germany, and there's a couple of ways you can you can get up to the top of the castle. You can walk up that castle, and you can step in large amounts of horse droppings, and and you're tripping your ankle on rocks, and you can get there. But there's guys at the base of the castle. If you give them, if you give them a, a few euros, he'll ride you up in the in the carriage to the top of the castle very quickly. And 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 so and so the same way it's 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 a smoother ride because it's the ride it, it goes with divine law that God has ordained with us from the beginning He prophesied in Genesis three fifteen, right that there would be a woman with the redeemer that the seed of the woman and there would be total and complete enmity between the woman and the serpent. In fact, the three words the three the three ancient languages are differ on who would crush the head. The Hebrew says it, it can be read they. He and she, or he or she. The Greek says um, he will crush the head. The Latin says she, and that's the tradition in the West. But really, it's all of them. She she participates in the crushing of the head. How can you separate? You can't separate them. You and can't separate anymore. You can separate a mother from her child. This Trinitarian theme is repeated repeated over and over and over. And so we see with Christ, it's impossible to have a relationship with Christ, a perfected relationship with Christ, a complete relationship with Christ without 
having a relationship with his mother and the sacraments he instituted in the church. You, you can, but it's deficient. It's not, it's not the, there, we, we, we distinguish between the ordinary and extraordinary, right? It, it, it is extraordinary. And I'm it, using the word perfected relationship with Christ in the same way I'm using the word grace perfects nature. It, it perfects it. It opens us. It heals our nature. Healing is defined as reconciliation with God the Father through the sacraments. Yeah. And so to the extent that we're understanding and relating to Mary as to who she is, the font of all grace, that which through all grace comes, because it is through her that Christ comes. So, so if I were going to try to, if I were working a strategy to try to diminish grace in the as grace flows into the into the world through the church, I would diminish. First of all, I would diminish our understanding of sacred scripture. I would make sacred scripture a historical document. I would, you know, I would teach. I would teach future priests that John didn't write John, and I would teach him all these great theories that might be good in academia, but they don't feed the priest's soul, and certainly don't let the priest feed the souls of his flock. And I'd also minimize the, the Virgin Mary's role. I would, I would, I would, I would emphasize so-called overemphasis in the Middle Ages, and I would belittle her, and I would block, because I know that those are the fonts of grace. Think of the vision of St. John Bosco. Remember the vision of John Bos St. John Bosco? He has this one of his many visions. He had a vision of, of the church as, as the bark of Peter, the Pope, was flying or s sailing the ship, driving it between two pillars, the smaller pillar of the Virgin Mary, the larger pillar of the Eucharist, and he's trying to guide this ship between these two pillars. But most people that remember that vision or have heard of that vision don't realize that it is through that the, the enemies of the church were, bat, were besieging the church, shooting books at the church. So it's going to be false teachings, false doctrines, and accusations against the church that's going to try to derail the church. But the, the two pillars remain firm, the Eucharist and Our Lady. Those are the yeah. pillars that, that, that we're trying to, that we're trying to, our own, what, the, what this vision does for the church globally, macroly, and our own souls. If you want grace in your life, to the extent that you are Eucharistically centered, to the extent that you are Marian, grace will come into your life. That's what she says at Fatima. That's what she says in the modern message. Precisely. Right? Or return to her Eucharistic son. She says there's nothing new in her message. That is reclamation theology, is to return to this right order. And we see that the term mediatrics of grace disappears uh, for a time. Mary is very much uh, diminished in the deformation of Martin Luther. And then in the Catholic response to that, which is a response of timidity and political correctness, we don't bring that up. This is a, a return to the true faith, the full faith. And nothing short will preserve the church. God in his mercy and in his providence has deigned to give us this wonderful opportunity. Please continue to pray for the purification of the church. Please continue to pray for the purification of the church. Pray for its survival. Pray for the survival of the faith. But it will be preserved through Marian devotion, total Eucharistic participation. What, what, what the, the Mariologist will talk about, the, the triumph of the, of the Immaculate Heart. She says in Fatima at the end, in the end, my, my, my immaculate heart will triumph. And what, I don't know if you can say consensus, but the general understanding, my personal belief is, the triumph of the immaculate heart is a return to, it's a return to, the, to her Eucharistic son 
as center in life. We hear it in Vatican II, the document of Lim Gentium, Second Vatican Council. The Eucharist is the source and the summit of the Christian life. Well, when was the Eucharist the source and the summit? Back at the beginning. The early church fathers saw this. The Eucharistic Eucharistic center of, of our worship, of our of our own worship, our own lives, our spirituality. We go back to the font in, in Eucharistic adoration, back to the font through Holy Mass, right. and go back into the world. So, so, so for the lady to try to busy themselves on the altar, that's a that's a misguided energy. The lady's charism is secular in nature. We go to the Eucharist to receive grace to go back into the world to bring Christ into the world. Precisely, this is the ete est. Right, this right. Is, this is, uh, and that's another one that, that plagues theologians. What does this mean? Go, there's the missio, there's the mission. There it is. Go to make pre Christ present in right. the world. Literally, what they're saying is go and culturate. Right. Meaning, go take Catholicism and make it pervade culture. Enculturation has taken a, another 180 perversion in which we're take, bringing the culture into Catholicism. Absolutely not. But look at the Mass. What is the, if, if we're going to call it the Missio, the mission, twofold of the Mass, the word proclaimed and the word sacrificed. So we're going to proclaim the word of God, but only to the extent that we ourselves live a sacrificial life. If we're not living a life of mortification, sacrifice, our proclamation is, is worth nothing. It's, it's sophistry. Precisely. And what we've done in this last few minutes is throw a bunch of topics in the air that we're going to address in future shows. We're going to address this in a sequential way to hopefully bring about clarity. So I would like to implore you to constantly, consistently pray for Holy Mother Church. Pray her for her purification. Pray for her sanctification. And I would implore churchmen, clergy of all rank, if you are politically motivated, please lay it down. Lay it down and pick up the weapons of the true faith. If you are homosexual, if you are engaging in impure practices, please go to a monastery and spend the rest of your life in reparation. The monasteries and convents are empty because of this departure from the true faith and because of the abuses, not only of individuals, but of your ecclesial office. If you have done these things, please remove yourself. Engage in a life of prayer and reparation. No talks, no conferences, no articles, no seminars, no spiritual direction. Simply go fill the monasteries that are empty because of your actions and pray for Holy Mother Church. And in doing this act of reparation and giving yourself to life of prayer and penance, silent prayer and penance, then you will begin to do the repertory work that's necessary to address God's justice which has been offended through your acts, through our acts, and as laity, we are guilty. We are guilty of the sin of timidity. We're guilt, guilty of allowing clergy to abuse the obedient. We are guilty of these things. It is time to speak. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 34, I come with a sword not to unite, but to divide, to set father against son. It is time for us to stand up and for good men to be counted. Because all it takes for evil to proliferate, proliferate and to overrun is that good men say nothing. So I urge you, speak. Speak in charity. Speak not in condemnation. Speak in charity that simply says we will no longer be led into moral or doctrinal error. This is, this is uh, 
very very much like St. Monica. Think of the, the, the role of St. Monica. And, and parents who, who have children who stray um, always go to St. Monica. But I remember asking uh, uh, an old Franciscan priest who, World War II veteran, about uh, did, did Monica's prayer make Augustine a saint? And he says, we don't know if Monica's prayer made Augustine a saint, but her prayer made her a saint. And so through her prayer and sacrifices, grace poured out onto her son, but also into for the conversion of her husband. So, so we see this conversion effect of the, of, the, of the mother and the bride. And we're members, we are the bride of Christ. And so, so we need, as, as members of the bride, to gently urge through our prayers, our sacrifice, however God calls us through prayer and sacrifice for the conversion of the church, the purification of the church. Well said, well said. Any other questions? Because, Angela, we're at the end of what we have today, and I think what we want to kind of try to cover today, unless there are some specific questions. I, I did have a question, Kyle and Dan. Um, when you were talking about one of the things that really shocked me this past year was, again, I keep going back to being told that our prayers, if you're not in a state of grace, that our prayers are not efficacious before the throne of God, that you have to be in grace. And one of the things that struck me, I was, I was having trouble sleeping and I was trying to pray the Hail Mary. I, I wonder if you could comment. So say our prayers before God don't have the same impact as we would if we were just men. But when we pray the Hail Mary and we ask her to pray for us sinners, what impact do you think that has on the effectiveness of our prayer? I'll let Dan expound on it, but it, just from a functional standpoint, I think it's a great insight into Mary's role. Mary hears all her children. It's not that God doesn't hear us. It's that we're not disposed to, uh, if we're not in a state of grace or if we're not open to hearing God's will in our life, then communication is interrupted. It's not a dialogue. It's a monologue. And so the <laughs> difference would be Samuel says, speak, Lord your servant is listening. And so we must first be disposed to hearing God and, and understanding his will in our life. Modernly, we often pray, listen, Lord, your servant is speaking. And so when we're doing it from that standpoint, and often if we're crying out on the edge of despair, then this language is unintelligible to God. God speaking to Eve says, what is this thing you have done? God doesn't recognize sin in as much as any can't see us through this cloak of sin, in as much as we're unrecognizable to him, we're not as he created us. Now, it's not that the soul cannot cry out and be heard, the Psalm 130 profundus, the profundus privilege. However, we must understand that the merit of our prayer is directly in proportion to our ability to receive and convey sanctifying grace. And so, let's don't confuse merit and grace. And let's don't confuse the way God hears us or doesn't hear us. But you bring up an excellent point. I'm going to let Dan expand upon Mary's real role in intercession because Mary can hear us and understand us many times when God can't because we're not speaking his language. Right. I think I think one of the lies that, that we all hear from the accuser. Remember, when, 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 when Satan is called the accuser, he doesn't just accuse us before God. He accuses God before us. God's not going to hear your prayer. God doesn't listen to you. You've been praying for this, and He hasn't answered your prayer. So, so the, we always have the De Profundus, or the Psalm 130 privilege. We read it at Compline. 
Out of the depths I cry unto you, O Lord my God. We always have that privilege so long we're on this side of eternity. But the, the Virgin Mary has a unique role in mediation. I'll give you an example. I, we remodeled the garage, painted it, patched it. We had a leak. I finally get it done, organized. I come rolling in, come home from work one day, and I see somebody, one of my, what I affectionately call one of my wife's kids, took, her, took the truck, ran into his truck, and drove into it too far in and bust, broke into the sheetrock. <laughs> Small little dent, but just enough to make a dad go, oh, that's another bill. I walk into the kitchen. My wife was waiting for me in the kitchen, and she said to me, so our son knocked into the wall, but it's not a big deal. And I got the message. This is a time for mercy. This is a time for mercy. And that's what mothers do. They mediate mercy, right? They mediate mercy. This is not to fall into a Pelagian view of God um, or a Marcion view of God, where God of justice in the Old Testament, the God of love in the New Testament. Not at all. But this is to show the mediation and the, and the beauty of the feminine, what John Paul calls the feminine genius. So Our Lady becomes, in a sense, an echo chamber of the mercy of God. She re-echoes throughout, uh, throughout the cosmos the mercy and forgiveness of God. And so what we see in the human family, those analogies or those metaphors fall short, but nonetheless, we see that even in our own imperfect human nature. We see the beauty, the beauty of the mediation. You know, it's, a, it's that, that movie in My Big Fat Greek Wedding. There was a scene where, it's, where the, the daughter was complaining to the mom. Oh, I know the woman is, the, is the, the man is the head of the household and whatever he says goes. And the, the mom says, yes, the man is the head of the household, but the woman is the neck and she can move the head in any direction she wants. And, and a lot of us men have stick, stiff necks from being moved around uh, in ways that we don't want to go. And so, so in a mystical way, she acts, she acts as neck to the mystical body. That's, that's scholastic. That's scholastic mysticism. Um, too, how our relationship with the father is softened when we go through the mother. Because as a, as a man, and having a relationship with a father, oftentimes we want to come at the father head on. But if we will slow down and go through the mother, it allows the mother, it allows Mary to purify God's image in us, our idea of God, who he is, and most important, who we are in his sight. And so she takes the hard edges off of any of that relationship and any animosity we might have toward God. It's amazing how effective she is in this role. So effectiveness of prayer or efficaciousness of prayer is not an either or. To the extent where we're disposed to God's will is the ability in which we can have a conversation. For instance, Imagine a young man and his father sitting on a bench on the back porch. To the extent their minds are conformed and their wills are conformed, it's going to have everything to do with the quality of the conversation. If the boy wants something that is in opposition to the father, this will be a very difficult conversation. To the extent that the boy is open to do the will and accept the direction of the father, this will be a loving and deep conversation. That is prayer. How are we disposed to God vis-a-vis -vis conformity of our will to his holy will? Yeah. And Kyle, yeah. uh, Ian has a question. Uh, I just wanted to, I, in looking at uh, what you were talking earlier about um, the direction for uh, priests and bishops and so on, um, I have seen a lot of priests that have a devotion to the Blessed Mother, but yet in their actions they are, um, I would say, following the 
uh, the, what the bishops might be advocating. And so how would you uh, advise them on trying to get more centered in what they're supposed to be doing rather than following um, what maybe the bishops are advocating? This is a this is a whole program, I think, and you bring up a okay. good point. We'll just touch on it, but it is this. There is a vast difference between feminine devotion to Mary and masculine devotion to Mary. Huge difference. We have a modern generation of priests, largely because they were raised in a feminist household where the woman was the dominant factor and the man was silenced or absent. They have a feminine relationship to Mary. They do not have a masculine this relationship to Mary. So they must purify their relationship to Mary in regard to and in light of their gender and their sexuality and the different roles there are for men and women in the economy of salvation. Very different roles. This is one of the reasons that homosexuality has such a foothold in the priesthood is this blurring of roles and this blurring of identities and this abrogation or this devotion to Mary not requisite with one's gender. Yeah, and I think to really what really came out in, for me as a man, my there's we I have, I have several weapons. One of the weapons is the rosary. Daily rosary is extremely important. And Alphonsus Liguori even talks of quotes one of the earlier fathers or uh, saints of the church saying that Beware, to, beware of those seminarians that have no devotion to Our Lady eventually lose their vocations, he says. But when I pray the rosary, my relationship to, to, to Our Lady is as son to mother. But another weapon is the, the rosary of Our Sorrowful Mother, the, the rosary of Our Lady of Sorrow. She is very, very important because the Sorrowful Mother is the mother whose heart is united, that is co-pierced at the cross with Christ, that receiving the prophecy of Simeon, and you yourself, a sword will pierce. And so when I approach Our Lady as a man, through our, through our Sorrowful Mother, I'm approaching her as comforting her in her sorrows. And in a sense, in a sense, I'm approaching her the way I comfort my, my spouse in her sorrows. You see what I mean, the difference? I approach, I approach her in the rosary in, as, in one orientation as a man, that's as son to his mother. But then I approach her more in a spousal relationship when I'm approaching her in the, Our Lady of, as Our Lady of Sorrows comforting her sorrows, being present to her in her sorrows. So but both ways, I've come to her, I'm just telling my own interpersonal experience, but both ways, I'm approaching her as a man, as a man. We're, we are gendered beings, and I think that's very, very important that, that a fully developed, we're talking about grace and nature. Grace perfects our nature to the extent that, that we come as a man and you as a woman to God, right? Fully, fully male or fully female, to extent that grace blossoms in our lives. And Our Lady, in a special way, helps us do that and reorients our manhood from disordered uh, machismo, or, or, you know, we all see the disordering of whether it's disordered male or female uh, genders. You have been listening to WSFI 88.5 FM, Reclamation Theology. A copy of this broadcast will be made available at wsficatholicradio.org. Exulus filii ebe, ad
suspiramus, gementes et flentes, in hac lacrimarum vale. Ega ergo, advocata nostra, illustruos misericordes oculos, ad nos convete. Et Jesu, benedictum fructum ventris tui, nobis postoc exilium ostende. Oh.